Welcome everyone to the virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team Podcast. As both fall and harvest begins across the state of Michigan, so does a new season of this podcast. Today we begin and we look forward to 10 new episodes that will be released weekly. Make sure that you look for the virtual coffee break whenever you get your podcast to ensure you don't miss any episodes this new season. As we begin today, we will have forage educator Phil Cates and Dr. Barry Bradford from the Department of Animal Science here at MSU. Their conversation centers around a very important and timely topic. How can we optimally work with dry corn silage crop? What are potential issues and possible solutions to work with this problem? Join us in the episode to find out. Phil, let's get it started. Hi everyone, my name is Phil Cates and I'm with Michigan State University Extension. I'm an extension educator working in Michigan with forages. And today I have Dr. Barry Bradford. Barry, tell us a little bit about your position at Michigan State University. Yeah, hi, Phil. Thanks for inviting me to be part of this. Uh, I'm the Clint Meadows Endowed Chair in Dairy Management in the Department of Animal Science at MSU. And of course, uh, the Extension Dairy Specialist and uh, happy to talk about a very timely issue today. Well, thanks, Barry. One of the things we're gonna talk about today Ladies and gentlemen that are part of this is we're going to talk about dry corn silage. I think it's very timely when we look at what's going on across the country and also in Michigan, we have parts of the country that are very dry. In fact, in Michigan, we have the eastern side of Michigan that is what I would consider either abnormally dry or even moderately drought, which is uncommon for us because we usually have plenty of moisture. And so we have some farms and farmers that are putting up corn silage that is drying very rapidly, and it may be more mature than what they even expect. And this is probably true across the country because we have on a cumulative percent area in the country, we have, uh, what I would call D0, which is abnormally dry, anywhere from 65 to 75% in the last month. And in the area that is moderately droughty, we have, it's gone from 45 to 50% of the country in that area, the percent area. So Barry, it really is a timely uh, type of approach that we're looking at for corn silage. And I've got some good news to go along with some drought. Okay. And right. that is that in Michigan, at least, we had very little tar spot reported in our corn this year. And that is really good news because we know that tar spot will produce very dry corn silage in a very quick and untimely manner. So, with that, even though we have some good news, uh, some challenging news is with dry corn silage, we have some things that happen besides just quality issues. There are yield issues, but we're not going to talk about that too much. We can't really change that, but we do have some management that we can talk about when it comes to quality. And Barry, give us a, a, an idea, some of the major things that we can expect with quality in corn silage when it's too dry. I, the biggest things I think about beyond the reduced yield, of course, is 
first of all, just a dry corn silage is inherently difficult to pack. So some of what we need to think through is how we're going to deal with that. How are we going to get oxygen out of that pile or out of that bag so that we can actually form an anaerobic environment so we can get fermentation? Because if we don't get rid of oxygen, we're not going to have the kind of microbial growth that we want. We can talk about that. Um, the other two things, and, and these are maybe somewhat surprising, starch digestibility is not going to be as good as we anticipate. We rely on fermentation to denature the proteins in the corn grain that makes the starch readily available for a bacteria to degrade. And so by not having a good fermentation, we're losing out on some of that denaturing the proteins around the starch. Thirdly, um, and this is what really surprised me when I first learned this, is that usually fiber is more digestible if it's drought stressed. And um, that'll lead to some challenges with formulation that we can talk through. Barry, talking about the starch digestion, tell us a little bit about the process as it goes from just as it's been harvested until it's really ready to feed and would I would consider uh, a normal feeding pattern. How long does that take and what is the pattern that you've seen in the past? So typically um, what we'd like to see with a normal moisture content, um, we see pH start to drop within a few days after you know packing that pile um, and getting the crop put away. And it goes through a process of um, developing those uh, or generating those organic acids, especially lactic acid, especially uh, rapidly over about a week or two. And it starts to stabilize then, but it still will go through a slower phase of uh, fermentation continuing typically for a couple of months, you know, maybe as fast as a month if it's a really excellent crop. But we usually say if you have the time, if you have the ability to wait three months before feeding it, you're going to have a much more consistent product after a three month fermentation than if you have to rush it. How long can that really take if you have very dry corn silage? Can it take even longer than three months? Yeah, exactly. So in this case, because there's just um, the, the lack of moisture makes it harder for the microbes to act on the, um, the nutrients that are there. And there's just less free sugars and things for them to, to degrade. And that means you get less organic acid production. The lactic acid is very slowly being produced. And that means the pH um, isn't dropping nearly as quickly. And so because of all that, you're getting a much slower, much longer, more drawn out process where particularly if you're looking at starch availability, it may not reach that plateau until five or six months post-harvest. Very few people have the ability to wait that long. So then the question becomes, how do you deal with that? Barry, I'm gonna have you put your nutritionist hat on and consider all right, we've got some corn silage and some corn kernels that are very hard this year. How would you adjust your rations based on the fact that we may see some of that uh, reduced digestibility? Right. So it, are we assuming right now that we've already got this silage in a pile and we're feeding it? I would assume, yes, yes. Okay, so let's talk through. Yeah, what do you do if you got a pile um, already put up? Um, it's real dry, say it's maybe 42% dry matter, for example. Um, how are you going to deal with that? Well, this, this is really challenging because if you sit down in front of some formulation software, typically the dry corn silage, depending on when the drought came on, 
but more often than not, it's a little lower in starch. You usually have less grain, right? Less, less starch. And so the total energy content of that silage is typically less. So typically if you're formulating, what that often is gonna push you to do is feed less of that silage because uh, it's not very nutrient dense or energy dense and backfill with more concentrate. But the problem then becomes, and I've run into this myself, if you actually look carefully at the NDF digestibility, like I said, typically drought stressed uh, corn will typically have less lignified uh, fiber. And so it's actually gonna be more digestible. So you've dropped your fiber content in the diet because it has poor energy content. And then even what you include is more fermentable. So therefore the fiber is gonna be clearing out of the rumen quicker. And now all of a sudden you've set up a situation where you're actually making your diet deficient in effective fiber, okay? So that's something that's easy to run to if you don't know what to expect with drought stress. So what can you do about that? Well, the obvious thing was, okay, go back to your normal amount of silage, but the problem is you're, you're low on yield this year, right? So it ends up being a, a trick uh, to, to make this work out. Typically that's a situation where I'm gonna backfill with some uh, non, forage fiber byproducts. So beet pulp's a great example in Michigan, something that comes in, it's not adding starch to the rumen. It's not necessarily adding much effective fiber, but at least it's filling a hole in the diet that you maybe have from uh, a drop in silage yield. So those are the big things that I think about in putting those kinds of diets together. Well, I'm going to have you put your thinking cap on here a little bit more because many times when I see droughty corn, I have stalks that are much less. And so I may have higher starch in that plant because there may be a pretty good cob and less of the plant to go along with it. So in that situation, what are some of the adjustments that should be made? Okay, yeah, that's a good point. I, I have some experience with some really extreme drought stress where I've seen 10% starch corn silages before, but you're right, the other situation can also occur. So then what do you do? Well, um, you may have to look at situations if, if your uh, corn silage is drought stressed and maybe the fiber is very digestible and you have a higher percent starch, you may need to come in with some other forage. And so you don't wanna put a lot in, but there may be some cover crop forages or even like uh, maybe half a pound or a pound of wheat straw here and there to add some effective fiber without taking a ton of space in the diet um, to just make sure you're maintaining room and health. Um, and then again, if, if you have some gap in terms of tonnage, that's where those um, byproducts can help fill that gap on, on years like this. Barry, one of the things that I'm gonna ask you about has to do with the stability of corn silage that it has been too dry. As we start to feed it, many times it gets hot fast for forests and yep. causes some challenges. Is that something that you've considered when you talk about these kinds of things? Absolutely. Um, in, in fact, my group just had a paper come out um, where we kind of walked through a situation that we dealt with like this when I was working at Kansas State. And um, things kind of were falling apart with us on some cows. And one of the things that we kept seeing is sort of a bloom of yeast and mold showing up on the face of corn silage, even though we were moving through the face at a rate that should have been sustainable. But again, it was in the 40% dry matters. And one of the key factors to maintain face stability uh, at feed out is 
acetate, acetic acid. And again, that's another one of those organic acids that's made during an active fermentation process. And with the dry silage, you don't get as many of those uh, organic acids made. So you lose that phase stability. And again, if, if the dry matter made it hard to pack, now you're also getting oxygen penetrating that phase further. So it's kind of a double whammy. So what can you do about it? Um, one thing you can do, although it's expensive and a hassle, is you can purchase organic acids to spray on the face. For research, we actually did that in that study. We felt like it helped. And you know there are farms that do that. So as opposed to giving up hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventory, I mean, that hassle it may well be worth it, but hopefully that extreme, right? So what can you do? Well, one thing I think about with super dry forages is Whereas often we'd say, try to hold on to those forages for some months to get to a stable fermented silage. If it's something that's not really gonna ferment well, even after many months, maybe you try to hold on to your previous year crop to some extent and try to burn through it in the winter before you hit that summertime where we have so many more face problems. Uh, maybe to some extent, you just kind of give up on it fermenting very well at all and just try to get through it. I don't know too funny, many farms that have done that, but that makes some sense to me. The other thing is just keeping track of everything that we always talk about just to the nth degree. So keeping a beautiful face as much as you can, uh, burning through that face uh, as fast as you plausibly can, um, not be opening up multiple bunkers at once and having, you know, slow burn rate on, on two bunkers when you could just burn through one more quickly. Um, so those sorts of things are the things I would think about. Well, I think it always goes back to how well is it packed? That's always a critical part yep. of, of putting up high quality corn silage. And it, sometimes it's very difficult to do that. So that's uh, good advice. So Bear, as we wrap up this segment of our podcast, uh, give us some take home pointers uh, just as a recap or a summary. Yeah, so big picture, if you've got some uh, dry corn in the field, you're gonna knock it down, do anything you can to allow yourself to pack it better. If that means you need to reduce your length of cut and, and chop it finer, um, get another pack tractor on the on the pile, those things are worth doing because it's going to be very hard to get oxygen out of that dry silage. Um, secondly, make sure kernel processing is turned up to the max because again, those kernels in the dry corn are going to be harder to ferment and they're going to be less digestible unless we get the good particle size reduction. And then once you've got that dry silage to feed, just keep in mind, that we expect less starch fermentability. So we have to compensate for that in formulation, but we also expect greater fiber fermentability. So we have to make sure we don't short the animals on effective fiber. And then lastly, keeping an eye on um, the face because we expect it to be less stable at feed out as well when we don't have such a good fermentation. Barry, thanks so much for your thoughts and some suggestions, very timely and practical suggestions that we can use for our bunk silo management, which is always a critical part of a high producing dairy herd. Thank you, Barry, and have a great day. Thanks, Phil, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Phil, and Dr. Bradford for this timely and important conversation. As you progress through harvest, remember Michigan State University and MSU Extension has multiple resources that can help you plan work with, or resolve potential issues that you may encounter as you continue to work in this exciting time of the year. Please reach out with feedback, 
questions or issues encountered during harvest to my email carrasq1 at msu.edu and I'll do my best to connect you with some of the available resources that we have at MSU Extension. Join us next week as we continue this new season with part two of our other edema conversation as our dairy educator Cora Okema talks with Dr. Emma Morrison. A great episode is coming up next week, so I hope you'll join us then.